monsters and ghosts to otherworldly beings. Join the explorers as they venture into the darkest realm seeking the truth to what goes bump in the night. Well, good evening and welcome to Explorers Seekers of the Truth, episode I don't know what. 36. But, uh, 30, 36, okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we're back this evening. I'm, of course, joined by my best friend and co-host, as you all know him, Lesson Cabbage. That's How are you right. doing tonight, buddy? I'm, uh, hey, Tom, thanks for joining in, buddy. <laughs> I am thoroughly exhausted so if i sound like i'm rambling tonight please uh pay no mind it's probably no different than any other night but uh uh just to kind of give everybody a, a heads up we you know we we have been a little uh, mia recently uh not that we don't want to do the show anymore so we hope people aren't thinking that it's just chad and i uh with the summer going on and everything and having the kids home and chad started a new job i i got projects from clients and it was just a cluster F, if you all can relate. And now that school's back in session and the kids are gone, we could kind of uh, get a little bit more time to uh, prepare, I guess, for our show. So we're planning on getting back weekly like we were before and bringing you guys some, you know, entertainment and hopefully some education on some different topics. Uh, but tonight, uh, Chad, you want to, I guess tonight's kind of a little bit of a mishmash. Yeah, yeah. Um, tonight we don't really have. It's, it's not going to be a topic-driven show. We're going to talk about a few different things. Uh, some of the stuff we posted recently on Facebook, and we're going to go back and since we didn't really get a chance since I investigated St. Albans to kind of recap the evening mm -hmm. there, we're going to talk about that a little bit and kind of just give you guys some ideas on some upcoming shows and stuff like that. So. We just kind of want to get that out tonight. We didn't want to go another week without getting on and saying hi to everybody and kind of talking. And, yeah. you know, so I, I think there's some stuff that we'll discuss that'll be interesting. And I think you guys, you know, feel free to comment like we always have you guys do. And, you know, if you guys have some stories that relate to these topics, please, you know, type away quickly and we'll we'll kind of hit them and, and maybe we can get some more Q&A going. That's right. And before we start talking about any of those topics, one thing I do want to bring to everybody's attention is this weekend, uh, Labor Day weekend in Portland, Maine, is the third annual International Cryptozoology Conference. Um, I believe it's Saturday and Sunday. The The event goes all day long. And one of our, our good buddies that we, uh, we became friends with through the show, Andy McGrath, he's the author of Beasts of Britain. He's actually going to be there this weekend. And I believe believe he's talking on Sunday uh, about uh, the Beasts of Britain and, and what he's got going on over there. So if anybody's in the area or you are close enough to do a road trip, I do believe tickets are still available, but don't quote me. I, I, I'm sure you could buy tickets at the door. Uh, go check that out and, and see, uh, see what's going on up there and, and tell Andy we said hi. My niece is waving at the screen. Her father just messaged that she's waving, so I went to say hi, Bella. Aw, that's sweet. Um, yeah, actually, I spoke to Andy this morning. Him and I were talking a little bit, and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I said to him, you know, kind of just wished him good luck because I know, you know, coming over to the States and, and doing a presentation, a lot of travel involved, mm -hmm. and uh, him and I were talking about some stuff that may or may not happen in the future of us all working together, so... 
we'll release more on that as we get a little bit further into it. Ah. But we are definitely, you know, Andy is a good friend of ours. He is kind of like a brother to us. You know, he he's basically like the unofficial third member of the Explorers <laughs> in a way. He, he doesn't know that yet, but, you know, he's yeah. basically one of us. Andy, um, these are things that if you're listening, buddy, these are things Chad and I talk about is, is we're unofficially making you the unofficial third mic. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he, we did a show with him and it was so interesting because usually as you guys have watched the shows, we usually, you know, and we get the guest off that we recap a little bit. We chit chat, we talk to you guys and then we shut down the show and Les and I, you know, review the show afterwards. Mm-hmm. We did the show with Andy. We stayed on with Andy, and Andy was nice enough. If you guys remember, it was like three, four o'clock in the morning his time. Yeah, yeah. He ended up spending another forty-five minutes to an hour of just me, less than him, talking yeah. about you know cryptozoology, paranormal, you know, life in general, and. You know, he's really become, we we message each other probably, I would say at least I message him once every two weeks. I know less than him talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we, you know, if you're in his area, please, you know. Yeah, check out that conference. Yeah, and, and he will be in Kentucky, I believe, next weekend or something like that or right. this coming uh, weekend. What is, I, 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 the, the name of the conference escapes me right now. I, I believe it's the Kentucky Crypticon? I, I think it's a crypt yeah, Kentucky Crypticon. I think it's like Harlan, Kentucky or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately we don't have that that uh information of <laughs> readily available. But uh I'm sure y'all could find it on on Facebook or online. The Kentucky Crypticon, I believe, is what it's called. And like I said, Andy and and other really great researchers and, and presenters are gonna be there and they're gonna, you know, give their spiels and whatnot. So Look it, look it up, check it out, and if you guys are able, go and go and see them. So I wish I could, but I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah, aside from all that, huh? Was it? I, I was going to say, I Les and I had planned on going, and actually we were planning on going as I'm driving to St. Albans. And if any of you guys read my recap on St. Albans, my lovely SUV broke down 1.8 miles from St. Albans, and I spent the last month trying to find a new vehicle. Uh-huh. So that has basically taken up all my um, travel and, and expendable cash for mm. a few months now. I hear that. Yep. So I guess to to get onto one of our first mini topics, uh, one of the things that we had posted on our Facebook page was it's about an evil topic. Uh, very evil with laser beams attached to its freaking title. So this topic that we're going to be talking about is mysterious green fireball coincides with Yowie sighting in Australia. And this little report um, comes from mysteriousuniverse.org. And it was written by Brett Tingley. Um, Basically it says Australia's most infamous ape man was reportedly seen in Queensland this week. And the timing of the sighting coincided with another infamously anomalous event. Could the two be related? And it goes on to say that on Monday, July 30th, uh, Katrina Ayers was driving North on Roma on the Carnivoran highway, taking her time to avoid hitting a kangaroo, you know, which happened to be in the road. Uh, a kangaroo, you know, which was happened to be on the road. 
Uh, she says, while cruising at a slow, safe speed, of course, you have to put that little highlight in there, um, Aries spotted what she thought was a large rock by the side of the road. As she got closer, she reports the rock stood up, revealing itself to be a large, hairy, humanoid creature standing over a kangaroo carcass. Ayers estimated the beast stood roughly 152 centimeters or five feet tall and described his hair as an auburn color. Ayers shared the sighting with the Australian Yowie Research Group, which posted Ayers' description of the incident to their Facebook page. <laughs> Thanks. The impression was spot on. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I won't read the rest in Australian, though. Um, while a single eyewitness testimony usually isn't noteworthy, the timing of the Yowie sighting may add a bit of weirdness to this incident. On the same day as the reported Yowie encounter, numerous eyewitnesses reported a strange object streaking luminously across the Queensland sky, leaving a trail of green fire behind it. Some witnesses reported the fireball as a bright white and yellow ball with an amazing tail of blue, green, orange, and white assumingly burning gas uh, descriptions, which would be seen to imply would seem to imply a meteor or an asteroid burning up in the atmosphere, which usually that, that was my kind of initial thought when I was reading the report is that was probably a meteorite or something falling. Um, others, however, described the unidentified aerial phenomenon as a dark rectangular object, leaving a jet flame in its wake. The onlooker even described the object as like nothing he had seen before and moving in ways which implied advanced techn technology due to its maneuverability. Uh, then it goes on to say that a UCLA astronomer, Ian McLean, meanwhile assured the Queensland public with 99.99% certainty that it was merely an Aquarian or Capricornian meteor shower. However, reports of green fireballs are a common theme in UFO research and the U.S. military even took an interest in them at the height of the flying saucer era, finally concluding that the phenomena are likely man-made. Could this meteor have been something else? And it, it concludes the timing of the two incidents in Strange. Has Yowie upgraded its methods of transportation? Could the Aboriginal ape-man actually be a kangaroo-hungry extraterrestrial stopping by for a midsummer snack? Or freaking people out with his odd green spacecraft? Or could one woman's misidentification of a kangaroo in mourning merely be coincidental with a not-too-rare astronomical event? Hmm. So, that's about well, that. My, my first question is, why was my mom in Australia? <laughs> I mean, five-foot-tall, auburn hair. It's my mom. <laughs> down, down to a T, right? Now, uh, like... Go ahead. Kind of thinking about where uh, Queensland is in Australia... That would be the north eastern area of Australia, which would be like the Great Barrier Reef. It'd be close to Papua New Guinea, mm -hmm. that that section of Australia up there, which I think is where the Australian Blue Mountains are, uh -huh. which is a hotbed for um, paranormal cryptozoology and ufology mm -hmm. um, sightings. There's a lot of stories. Um, <clears throat> in that area between the owie and uh, paranormal ghost hitchhikers and stuff like that, phantom hitchhikers. And a lot of UFO sightings occur along those long stretches of highway mm -hmm. at night in those areas, even some during the day. 
I know uh, Mysterious Universe, where we got this story from, they're out of Australia and they cover a lot of stuff with the Blue Mountain and a lot of the folklore and legends of the Blue Mountain. So, and they usually put out an episode a week. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I, like reading the report and, and there really wasn't much else to, to find on this uh, incident. Uh, my, my vote kind of goes to it was just coincidental that this person had seen something, whether it be a Yowie or, you know, a, a misidentified kangaroo. Um, there was only one person that had said it had an odd flight pattern or was able to maneuver intelligently. Um, again, I, I think it was just a meteorite because the description is kind of telltale to a typical meteorite. And uh, again, I think the two incidences coinciding, I think it was just, it was just by chance. I don't think there was any relation to the two. Well, I mean, there are so many strange Yowie sightings mm -hmm. in Australia. Like they have stories of Yowies in neighborhoods, like in, in housing areas, stealing clothing off of wash lines and running off with it <laughs> they have i mean the the yowie stories there are are quite interesting in some of the depth of character yowies have developed in some of these stories like there was one that was repeatedly seen in a small town in the queensland area where it was stealing women's clothing off of wash lines and then, like, running away in such a way that it was almost trying to put the clothing on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, I mean, like, they, they do have some out there stories. Um, you know, my question kind of would always be, as an investigator, I, I've done private and, and criminal investigation and stuff like that, uh -huh. would be, first of all, how long was this lady on the road? Mm-hmm. Is she in that that state where your mind, like I said that one time my wife and I were driving home and I saw a deer that I thought was a kangaroo. <laughs> I wasn't even on the road for 45 minutes at that point, but I had been out in the sun all day and in the heat. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we're driving down the road. I saw the head and I'm like, oh my God, is that a kangaroo? And she's like, no, honey, that's a deer. <laughs> <laughs> so how long was she on the road? Was it just a kangaroo because you see a lot more, uh, a lot of videos now with animals showing sympathy for deceased members of their groupings. Mm -hmm. It's you know, funny that you more, said that. I had just seen two videos recently, uh, one where there were two stray dogs. I don't know. I think it was in China or something like that. And one was struck <clears throat> in the middle of a, a busy uh Highway. Highway, yeah. Yeah, and the one dog was was obviously uh mourning the loss of its companion and was like scratching Tugging at it and trying yeah, yeah, trying to wrap its front legs to <clears throat> pull it off, off of the road, which I thought was very surprising, you know. Mm -hmm. I've seen videos where uh a raccoon, one of them was hit, uh the other one actually fell over. It looked like it, you know, was in distress over the loss of its its friend or companion or whatever uh i've seen squirrels act that way too where one of them got hit and the other one would try and pull it off the road and move it around trying to wake it up and so i mean i 
in, in that aspect, I think animals have a lot more emotion than people give them credit for. And I think they're far more intelligent than people give them credit for. But again, like you said, um, how long was she on the road? And being they, they are in Australia, it is very hot down there. Has she been driving a long time? Was she getting fatigued? Was she, you know, you know, being affected by the, the intense heat, if it were, you know, intense at the time, you know, it, it could be a whole combination. And when she saw the animal, whatever it was again, and, and again, too, if it was hot and depending on the distance of that, of, of where it was in relation to herself, was it distorted from like a heat mirage? You know what I mean? Like sometimes when the heat, the, the vapors kind of distort, yeah. like a straight line looks all kind of wavy until you get up on it and that, that you get a little bit above that vapor zone, that vapor barrier yeah. or whatever, and then it straightens back out. So could it have just been, you know, a distortion of what was really there? Was it just uh, her mind playing tricks on her? Like you said, from the heat, could be a multitude of things. Yeah. I mean, it also could actually be a Yowie. I mean, if, if they exist, mm -hmm. you know, could it have been one? Yeah, possible. I mean, but I think, you know, as, you know, as an investigator, you got to look at those details first. Mm -hmm. Like, you've got to examine, you know, how many times has this woman seen a kangaroo you know, being from Australia, probably more so than any of us have. Right. But at the same time, kangaroos come in different sizes. You're, mm -hmm. you're used to kangaroos that are this size, and all of a sudden you're out in an area where they grow bigger, or they're a different variety of kangaroo. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're seeing a five foot and the color. Um, a lot of you get people that, you know, are out in the woods a lot, no deer. You know, mm -hmm. like we have white tail deer and you guys have different types of deer and white tail and, and mule deer and stuff like that. Depending on where they spend a majority of their time, their colors will be different, mm -hmm. darker or lighter or, you know, they used to always say like the ones that stay up higher on the mountains usually have a grayer color to them. Not mm -hmm. that they're gray, but they have a grayer hue to their, their fur. Mm -hmm. The ones that are down in fields are generally brighter because they match, you know, in with the fields and stuff like that more. It's it's a natural camouflage. So is this woman seeing a kangaroo that just happens to be a lighter version than she's used to? Yeah. Or it could simply be uh, maybe she's not accustomed just because she's in Australia doesn't mean there's kangaroo in every street corner. You know, just like around here where, where you have people that live in a more populated area don't see deer as often as people that live in an area like where I live, where I literally have them in my backyard every morning. You know, I had so if. I had a pet deer that lives in my yard for like a whole year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But and that's my point. You know what I mean? Like people like us who are accustomed to seeing them every day, we know, well, other than you who thinks it's a kangaroo, you know, most normal people would uh, say, Hey, that's a deer. I know what that is, you know, but to somebody like um, a friend of mine who had moved to the area from New York when we were kids, freaked out anytime he saw a deer, even chipmunks and squirrels, you know, he would freak out anytime he saw any kind of wild wildlife because when you're in the city, you're not accustomed to that. So, and even just say for me, if I drive a few hours north, I could see moose. There aren't moose where I live. 
So for me to go somewhere and it's not an animal that I see on a regular basis, I may be taken back if I don't recognize it right away, you know, because it's not something that's in my normal daily line of sight, you know, uh, routine. So it could be one of those situations where she was traveling a few hours away from where she's normally from. And, oh, my gosh, what is that? Uh, You know, I I can't identify it. And it looks too big to be what I think it it might be like a kangaroo. And, oh, it's a yowie, you know. Yeah. Well, and then if you go to the guy who claimed that the object in the sky had a, you know, what seemed like maneuverability and was moving in a distinct manner. You know, that that's a thing like, you know, you'd have to give some testing to that person to see what they consider, you know, something flying compared to something falling. Right, right. You know, bounce, you know bouncing off of certain things, the light and stuff like that could have looked like, oh, yeah, it was, you know, moving a certain way. Like I saw my wife and I were out walking and we saw a, you know, basically what we'd call a shooting star. But mm-hmm. when it got so far into the atmosphere, it actually blew up. Right. Now, not like an actual explosion, but it splintered off into pieces. And then all of a sudden it was like three distinct pieces it was one piece. And all of a sudden it went three different spots. Right. But it was it just broke up in the atmosphere and that was still burning. The pieces burnt as they went off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to somebody who maybe isn't as familiar with those, you know, incidences, oh, it, it was maneuvering in such a way. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean. Well, he, he did say, too, that it was a re- rectangular dark object. So the aerodynamics on something square is going to be a lot less uh, streamlined than something that's more rounded or aerodynamic that would, yeah. you know push the the air around it to keep a, a set course whereas an odd shaped object is going to flail and kind of you know move erratically you yeah know? it's like when you don't throw a perfect spiral with a football you know if you, if you don't get it right it's gonna flop around like a dead duck or a dying duck you know but if you mm-hmm. get it right and it spirals it cuts through the air perfectly you know so but I don't know that's that story next <laughs> to add to it yeah all right next so this next one that i want to talk or we want to talk about is is interesting and it it also comes from mysterious universe because the last show i think it was the last show that we had we talked about the jotlov pass uh incident in uh russia in the ural mountains in russia so um do you have that story up or do you just want me to kind of Go through it. No, you can read it. I would have to read it off my iPhone. I'd have All to- right. I'll just I'll, I'll I'll just read verbatim here off of the the website. And again, this is Mysterious Universe, so anybody could go out and find it, or uh, just click the link off of our Facebook page, and you could read it yourself. But I'll read it for you. It's audio book time, I suppose. So it says, and this one was written by uh, Paul Seaburn at uh, Mysterious Universe. Strange debris found at Jotlov Pass, site of mysterious deaths. And as we talked about uh, in our show relating to the Jotlov Pass or discussing it, it's one of history's great unsolved and conspiracy-generating mysteries. Because like we said during our show, there were probably, or at least 16 
different conspiracy theories that we had found relating to the the incident or trying to uh solve uh the incident but um in 1959 the frozen bodies of a nine member ski hiking expedition were found partially undressed near their Ural Mountain campsite in an area whose indigenous name means dead mountain the official reason given for the skiers strange behavior uh like slicing open their tent from the inside was natural force they were unable to overcome again one of the things that we talked about during that show was they were trying to write it off that they were trying to escape an avalanche which if you listen to that show there were a lot of points that we had brought out that that would dis dis uh disprove that theory whereas there were no signs of the avalanche. There were still footprints all over the place. If it were an avalanche, an avalanche and they were overtaken by it, their footprints and their bodies would have been covered from it. The fact that their tent was still standing in the original position, uh, it would have been buried by an avalanche. Uh, so there was a lot of things that had uh, mm-hmm. disproved the avalanche theory. But uh, anyways, it says the investigation documents were classified and the public was banned from the area for three years, which irritated those who heard witnesses had seen fireballs that could have been Russian missile tests, energy orbs, or alien spaceships. Now, nearly 60 years later, a possible piece of solid evidence may have been found, with its own discovery also shrouded in mystery and intrigue. So it says the latest piece in this mysterious Jotlov pie begins in 2008 when a tourist claims to have found a large chunk of metal near the site. The three foot by three foot one square meter piece was either too heavy or perhaps too frightening for the person to bring back in 2008. So it remained there until this year when the URA.ru reported that an an expedition had returned to the remote location using GPS coordinates kept by the finder and retrieved it. And uh, one of the people there had quoted, it seems easy only... It seems easy only the first 100 meters. In fact, it is hard to carry and very uncomfortable. We even at that time hardly managed to deliver it, although we specially prepared it. So Alexander Zarubin told the URA.ru, reported on the expedition for URA.ru. You could go to that site. Uh, There's numerous pictures of the chunk and the area and the team. And it says that after the difficult retrieval, it was delivered to Yuri Konsevich, head of the Jotlov Foundation dedicated to maintaining the Jotlov Museum and continuing the investigation of the Unsolved Mystery. Uh, Konsevich said his initial analysis, along with others who have looked at it, it is that the metal is part of a rocket fuel tank, possibly from an intercontinental ballistic UR-100. Does this metal fragment help solve the mysterious 1959 deaths of the skiers on Jotlov Pass? Well, it fits the theory that the Russian military was conducting tests. Not a real surprise. And a secret missile crashed in the area, and its secret cargo may have been responsible for the radiation detected on the bodies and their clothing. And again, like we talked about in our report on this, the radiation levels were very, very low. And some of the people that were on the uh, the team worked at a, uh, what is it, uh, nuclear plant. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, it's either from a bomb or it's from the people that work there because radiation lingers. Um, it might also lend credence to the theory that the skiers were involved with the tests, possibly working with the KGB, a theory based on reports that some of their diaries and film rolls, one of which may have had photos of the strange orange fireballs, were missing. So it goes on to say, why did these experienced hikers tear through their tent from the inside to, to go uh, barefoot in the snow, some dying from exposure, others from injuries, including a broken skull, two broken ribs, a, mat, a missing tongue, and uh, the chunks of the metal sh uh, sheds no light on this or the rumors of a Yeti attack, which, again, we kind of kind of just, you know, debunked that one. Uh, an avalanche or a rare weather condition known as Carmen Vortex Street that can generate very low frequency sound waves that could that could have caused psychological problems that drove the hikers mad or at least to do odd non-hikerly things. Um, no other pieces of metal were found. Could have been placed there deliberately to distract investigators who may be getting too close to the real reason behind the Jotlov mystery. Or it is just a coincidental piece of the many rockets and missiles launched there by the ussr and russia see they're afraid of the charlesworth theory that's why that's, they're hiding they're putting evidence in place to disprove it that's absolutely right <laughs> now well here's the thing you got to think um it it looks like a piece of metal from a fuel tank for a rocket mm -hmm. there's no way of dating it yeah, you know, without some kind of serial number or production number, there's no way to date it back to the fifties. Yeah, you know I mean, because there, there wasn't any other real descriptive details about the piece either, other than it was yeah. a three foot by three foot chunk of metal. And was and it somebody did a show age, you know. Yeah, and somebody saying, "Oh, well, it looks like a UR one hundred fuel tank." Well, a piece of it, you well how many of those have you seen mm -hmm. you know we're you know if this person was an expert in the ur 100 and its design and its metal consistencies and stuff like that then him saying oh yeah that's what it is kind of would have more credence to the cause of oh it was a missile but also they could have been testing missiles in that area you know, for 20 years after that. And that just could have been a piece that happened to work its way down the mountain over the years mm -hmm. into that area. True. Well, yeah, because with all the snow and avalanches and other, you know, winter natural phenomenon, yeah. it could have easily, or, or, you know, early spring to late spring runoff, everything could be washing down. So yeah. you're right. It could have been misplaced you know, from somewhere up higher because it is a known missile test area. So yeah. why they that why that would be considered strange is kind of odd, you know, that. Well, I think it, it's only considered strange because of the whole Jiatlov Pass story. I think anything that happens there or anything that's found there is going to be strange because it's always going to somehow be tied back to that incident, that incident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even you and I have talked about like coincidental things. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I have always, you know, kind of had those conversations like your camera that went missing. Yeah. You know, yeah. coincidentally, we use a camera on an investigation out at the Daniel Stewart farm. Mm -hmm. 
less i have known less since we were 13 years old mm -hmm. this man has the boxes and the little like twist ties that come for wires for everything he owns <laughs> if not stuff he's gotten rid of over the years he still has this stuff <laughs> He yeah. is so detailed and meticulous when it comes to, okay, like he will be, even if it's not his equipment, like we do an investigation at the Haldeman and we're getting ready to pack up in the morning. And he's like, okay, we've already walked through the building once. We're going to go through the building a second time. <laughs> and we will find stuff that a, we don't remember, you know, getting out. But we may have over the night or one of the other team members who were working with us may have grabbed it at some point and we just weren't paying attention if they had it. But he'll find stuff and then he'll like be like, okay, so this is why we do this. Mm -hmm. I know less. Les puts things back in his travel tub <laughs> of a par paranormal and cryptozoology related research equipment. Mm -hmm. Couple weeks after we do the Daniel Stewart, Les says to me, Hey, can you check your equipment for me and see if my camera is in there? Now, I have a lot less equipment that I carry, so I get out my stuff, check all my bags, check my carry cases. No, mm -hmm. man, I don't got it. Can you, He goes to me, well, can you get in contact with the owner of the property to see if maybe I left it in the room or something like that, or maybe left it in the barn? Yep, give her, you know, shoot her a message, see if she's, you know, come up with a camera. She gets back to me, she's like, no, I haven't seen it. You know, if it pops up, though, I'll hold it for you because we have a pretty good relationship with her. We stop out and see her when we're in town and stuff like that if we have time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what was it, a couple months go by, a year almost? No, it was almost, yeah, almost two years. Yeah. And do you want to finish the story? Yeah, well, during that time, now, now, like Chad said, I, I, I guess I have a bit of OCD when it comes to things that I own. I try and take care of my things is really what I do, and uh, I, I have a footlocker that I keep all of my investigation equipment in, and this camera in particular, I never use for anything other than research. I have all different kinds of camera equipment that I use for my business that i don't use for personal or hobby use um so again this camera lives in that particular tote so i know for a fact that when we were down there i remember categorizing all my stuff and putting it back into the specific spots in the box that it goes because it's like a puzzle i have to put it back together right so i remember and I, I take the batteries out of everything so nothing gets damaged or nothing, you know, like an acid leak or, or corrosion. I don't want anything. You spend a lot of money on that stuff. I don't want it ruined. So I remember I, I remember folding up the charging cable, putting it in the front of the thing. I remember putting it back. I remember putting everything back. I came home, put the trunk back where I normally keep it. And then uh, over time, you know, we moved. Nothing came out of that tote. Uh, so it's weird that, uh, you know, I. Long story short, we moved. I couldn't find the damn thing. And then uh, for whatever reason, I was in one of our rooms. Uh, probably a year and a half after we had already moved in. And uh, yeah, so this camera showed up in a 
miscellaneous bag that I think had all the, the stuff from one of our junk drawers at the old house. And there was my camera in, okay. in the little bag. It, and I, I don't know where the charging cable is. It wasn't there, but uh, I found the camera. But how it got out of the case, like nobody touches that case. Nobody touches the case. It's it's my case. My family knows not to touch it. How it got out, I have no idea. Yeah, but that's that's a you know kind of getting back to what the point of that whole story was. You know, that's coincidental stuff that happens around an an investigation or a you know. Mm-hmm. The reason we're investigating is this alleged paranormal activity. Right. So all of a sudden, now you have a coincidental happening that goes along with that. Just like mm-hmm. this piece of metal being found in the area where the hikers, you know, met their their deaths. Yeah. Yep. It, does it mean they're connected? Not necessarily. It doesn't. It, it doesn't say that it's not connected but it's not evidence that is supporting any kind of connection. Right. They're connected in the fact that they're just both weird incidences in that area. Yeah. Right. Right. Just like the camera less knows where he used it last, less knows how meticulous he is about stuff. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, I'm not complaining because Les has actually found equipment of mine that I've accidentally left behind as we we're going to leave. So yeah. I appreciate his, you know, his, you know, thought process tendencies. <laughs> you know, so it, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, you just, it's random. And I don't know, you know, there, there are whole schools of thought out there that you don't discount these random coincidences that they are. These coincidences are evidence towards some bigger, you know, be it paranormal or cryptozoology or ufology things. It's bigger evidence to prove this. Um, there's also, you know, it's like, I guess they consider synchronicities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I've, I've listened actually to mysterious universe, do a whole show about one of the books that was about synchronicities and stuff like that. And I listened to it. And I think the guy who wrote it was a uh, mathematician and he was showing mathematically how these synchronicities and coincidences are actually not coincidences. They are happenings that are involving an actor or agent from your previous investigation. Mm-hmm. But again, as, as a, uh, somebody who's done, you know, actual investigation and stuff like that, not that you know, paranormal or cryptozoology, not that, you know, but I've actually worked where my statements have been read in court cases. Mm-hmm. I've testified in court. You can't take those coincidences and look at a judge and, a, and a, a defense attorney when you're a witness for the prosecution and go, well, yeah, but I really think these two things are related. <laughs> They're going to just say no, inadmissible and do not repeat it. Yeah. And look at the story and say, please strike that last you know, statement you heard from the record. You will not be allowed to use that going forward. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's weird stuff that happens in conjunction. I mean, you know, different times, you know, we've had 
you know, different stuff happen, you know, where it's been, I'll go into a story. We were about a weekend before we left to go to the um, Homestead Orphanage in Gettysburg the one year. I'm sitting in church, and I feel what feels like a little kid, trying to get this on frame here, tugging on my hand. And it went on through the entire church service. And it would stop for a little bit, and then all of a sudden it would feel like somebody was tugging on my hand. So I'm like, okay, that's just a really odd sensation. It's I never experienced it after that, you know, where there wasn't really a little kid grabbing my hand. And before that, I'd never experienced it unless it was a little kid, like, tugging on my hand. Yeah. It happens a week before we go to the orphanage. It's a coincidence. It's a random, you know, just random you know, muscular skeleton response to some kind of electric stimulus from my brain. But if you look at it in the grand scheme of, oh, we were going to do an investigation and I felt like the, there was little kids tugging on my hand and trying to get my attention and we're going to a place where little kids were abused and tormented. Well, th there's my there's my connection. I'm having these experiences outside of an investigation. Right. You know, it's right. often like people also say like, you know, not to deviate a little bit, but paranormal or you know, paranormal investigation hangover or lockdown hangover. Or oh, I'm so drained the next couple of days and I just didn't feel right and this and the other thing. Yes, that's a hundred percent correct, but it also has a normal human factor to it. Mm -hmm. Can be attributed to a couple of things. A you were up all night. Not unless you work third shift, you're probably not used to. Right. Your emotions were on the extreme edges: excitement, fear, you know, possibilities of oh, I could see a ghost tonight. So you get all hyped up, and then boredom because you're sitting watching a monitor or you're sitting holding an EVP recorder and nothing's going on. Right. Right. So your body is going through these you know different chemical and, and you know, physical responses to things. And then the next day you're tired. Well, of course you're tired. You were up all night. Your body does feel off because your body probably got maybe four hours of sleep because, oh, I don't want to sleep too long because that'll ruin the rest of my weekend or I got to be back at work on Monday so I can't stay up all day. You know, I can't go to sleep all day Sunday after investigating Saturday. Right. It's right. not, it's a coincidence. It's not a direct effect from investigating this piece of metal is a random coincidence of it's a test range for missiles things fall all the time from shoddy equipment planes mm -hmm. break up there's been plane crashes in that area um are you still there less yep i'm here i'm listening to you can you hear me Okay. Well, if you guys can hear me, I'm just going to keep rambling. You can't hear me? So, you know, these things aren't necessarily... Can you hear me? You know, directly related. And you can you can personally feel like there's some kind of connection to it. And if you're a good investigator, you're going to follow up to prove or disprove that connection. It's not always, you know... 
it's not always not something, but to use it and, and to hold it as evidence, it's not a good place to start from. So I believe the next thing we wanted to speak about, I don't know if Les can hear me. Yeah, I can hear we'll you. Can you hear me? me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Anybody? <laughs> no, Les, we cannot hear you or see you. You kind of have frozen on my screen. Yeah, uh, on the output Mugo screen. He says he can hear both of us fine. I hear you. Oh, you, I hear you both fine. I hear you both. Well, I don't hear you, Les, so I don't know. Hmm. Uh, hold on, everybody. Let me see if I can have Well, it definitely is not an Explorer show without technical difficulties. I got to say that much. Oh yes, Chad is right. If the if 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 we could have a damn show without okay, any, I will log back out and log back in. All right, Chad just logged out. Uh, hopefully, everybody can still hear me. Uh, Maddie says he could hear both of us fine. Well, we're going to have Chad come back in. Hopefully, this works. Can you hear? Welcome me? back. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. I heard you the whole time. I saw you the whole time. It was weird because I watch. I'm not on. Or hold on. I'm I'm watching the Facebook feed on my phone, uh, and the weird thing was, was no. Well, you were you were still moving and stuff on the phone, mm -hmm. but on my screen, my display that I see you on, you froze, and I couldn't hear you at all. Hmm. That's funny that you said that because on my end too, you you were getting really pixelated for a while. Like your voice was really chopping up and your your video was chopping up and then it just as soon as it stopped when it was really bad as soon as it stopped you were perfectly fine and i was re responding to you and then you're like are you there are you there i was like oh, i don't know what the hell's going on i'm here but and everybody could hear both of us so we probably sounded <laughs> really dumb but, uh, well like i said i don't know if you heard it or not but i i said you know it's not an explorer show without technical difficulties yeah, no, no, you're absolutely absolutely right yeah coincidence <laughs> that you're talking bad about the piece of metal <laughs> yeah it, it, it's coming back to haunt us moon joey look it's 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 taunting us with our show See, i'm it's the russian hackers who are trying to get my theory discredited so they <laughs> yeah, don't that's right that's right <laughs> You know, and it's funny that you said that too, because a lot of times when we were, when we were doing the Jotlov pass and and whatnot, and we mentioned anything with Russia, with all the bullshit going on with the with the uh, what do you want to call it, the election or whatever, I'm like, God, you know, we keep we keep referencing Russia. I wonder if we're getting hacked into. <laughs> uh. Well, believe it or not, my wife, we just had to have her uh, bank card turned off and get a new bank card sent to us because somewhere along the way she ended up getting skimmed or something like that and they tried to uh they did a, a first withdrawal on it a, a charge and she luckily caught it and then all of a sudden as the processing of shutting it down and freezing it was going on they tried to put a second one through for a larger amount oh wow yeah so again coincidence yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with our you know <sighs> theories or anything like that but you know, but that's the kind of stuff like, you know, it's just random. It happens to everybody every day. You know, mm -hmm. there's not everybody, but there's a large majority that have these kind of things happen to them. Right, right. 
So we were uh, there. There's a third topic, and uh, do we do you want to talk about that, or you just want to get right into the St. Albans? Because it's not really cryptozoological or paranormal. It's more or less about. Well, you could you could just give the synopsis quick. Yeah, um, I, if you guys had seen the post I put up about the New York Times did a story on they found water on Jupiter, and scientists are saying this doesn't prove that there could be doesn't prove that there is life on Jupiter, but doesn't disprove there is life on Jupiter. Um, basically, like I said, if anybody read the comments in there, I said basically this is a two-line story. Water found in megastorm on Jupiter. You know, the one we've known has been going on since the 1800s. <laughs> right. It, it's a fluff piece of news. and mm. and But it does, this is one of the interesting things. It does show the power that paranormal cryptozoology ufo ufology is gaining in mainstream acceptance there's a th look i mean they wrote a story that basically was probably about four paragraphs that basically said there was they they've discovered water mm -hmm. um in the new york times Five years ago, that might have been a little thing in the science section that said, you know, water found on Jupiter, but water found on Jupiter in this, you know, the megastorm that has been going on since the 18, since we've, we've been able to observe since 1822, it, you know, and they would have went on to say, well, this is one of the, you know, key things that NASA looks for on planets for the possible existence of you know, the ability to sustain life. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have brought up the fact of this doesn't prove that there is alien life on Jupiter and it doesn't disprove there's alien life on Jupiter. <laughs> there's a, there. well, down here, there's a car company, uh, a dealership. And basically their new commercial series, their whole new marketing program is a guy who is like a bumbling Josh Gates. Mm-hmm who's doing a, uh, an adventure, a cryptozoology, paranormal ufology adventure show. And it's a commercial. Mm -hmm. And he's going out looking for Bigfoot. And he's driving, a, or, or they, I think they refer to it as the Yeti. Mm -hmm. And he's driving around, and everywhere he looks, he's in a neighborhood. Everywhere he looks, there are Yeti. Everybody mm -hmm. he sees looks like a Yeti. He wrecks the truck. One of the other commercials is, oh, we're taking a break from filming. And it's like he's shooting a commercial for his fake TV show. And in the background, the pickup truck that they're driving is getting – There's a, you can see a UFO above it with the light coming down and the truck starts lifting off the ground. Hmm. So paranormal cryptozoology, ufology, is now you know Jack Link's, the Sasquatch sticks, mm -hmm. the, the Bigfoot pizzas. Mm -hmm. It's starting to show the – in my mind, it's starting to show the, the acceptability and the power that, you know, we all, since we all enjoy stuff like this, it's starting to show that our our voices are being heard in different areas. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of it is ridicule and satire, but, you know, it's it's being recognized, I guess. But, but you know, what's the, the most sincerest form of flattery? 
I don't remember. Sure. That's why I was asking. Oh. <laughs> but well, I mean, and I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but say it. <laughs> do it. I think a lot of it has to do with like with finding Bigfoot, the the show. Though very entertaining, it's a joke. And all the people that are, are are trying to be considered serious researchers are getting slapped across the forehead with that label of just a ridiculous kook, you know, like just and, and I'm not discrediting the cast of Finding Bigfoot because I, I know like Cliff and I, I don't know them personally. I'm just saying I know that they are kind of they're they take it very seriously. Moneymaker, I, I don't know. Renee, I don't really know what her true intentions are, but I would assume that if she truly is a biologist that, you know, she would have serious intent. But at the same time, it's it's entertainment. So there's got to be entertaining factors. But again, I don't think they had to make it as ridiculous as it was, because like if you look at uh, Monster Quest on, on the History Channel, same kind of premise. They went out looking for monsters. They went out looking for the unknown. But the way they had 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 filmed it, and the way they had produced it, and edited it, and all that stuff, it seemed more educational, more logical, more scientific method, you know, rather than you know a group of people running around hooting and hollering in the woods, and every time an owl farted, it was it wasn't no, it was, that was a bigfoot. Like one of the memes I saw online, and and again, I'm not. I'm not knocking Bobo because I'm sure he has the best of intentions. And I, I hear he is a very, very nice guy, but it was a meme of him. And it's like pile of leaves in the woods, obvious Sasquatch activity. And that's how they made the show to be. You know what I mean? It's like they made it out to be this a joke. So, and I think because of that, that's why this acceptance is because people were eating it up like candy because it was comical in a way, you know, it was mildly educational and more comical. And, and a lot of the commercials and everything I think are being geared towards that as a joke more than it's something we should take seriously. Yeah, but it's still, it's still there. You're right. It's still well, there. It's the old, any you know, bad publicity is still publicity. It's still furthering, you know, it's still furthering the cause, mm -hmm. you know, and there's always going to be humor in, in anything you do. Mm -hmm. Now the, the show, when I, I never actually watched the show, honestly, I, tweeted one time with the Renee we were talking about in search of the original you know show and stuff like that and I just happened I didn't even know who she was I just knew that she was a Bigfoot researcher and I had commented on it and she commented back and stuff like that but you know that's where you know from her that was where her interest in this stuff came from right you know watching the old in search of which was shot as a scientific exploration of these subjects finding bigfoot i've like i said i maybe have seen about 20 minutes of the entire thing i've never been into it mm -hmm. i've never i've watched maybe two episodes of ghost hunters i've never been into it there 
but general acceptance is <laughs> it brings um it brings attention when you know comical like zach bagans except for zach bagans has one of the top 100 uh cable television shows in ratings no well, other paranormal show has ever done that no 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 but but still again though a lot of these are entertainment you know what i mean well, we've said it a million well, times how can you yes. can you really believe that what well, they're finding is, is is legit but does it give you 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 don't take their findings as legit because first of all you you don't have a chance to work the same the same way they did to repeat it that's the problem with all this stuff with the scientific method especially in paranormal is you got to be able to recreate the experiment well that's one of the hard you know is the sticking point with science is well you can't re you can't recreate that ghost avp sound whatever right the right. image on the photo you can't ever do that right so it is always entertainment but a it tells you stories how many locations how many eyewitnesses how many different you know eyewitnesses in a given area on those shows have provided people with places to go mm -hmm. you know venues to attend um you know places you know with paranormal places to investigate yes it is paratourism but it's it's increased awareness inside the genre yeah. it, it is it is entertainment but there are places you see on these tv shows that a lot of us you know those of us that live on the east coast we don't hear a lot of the the local legend of towns on the west coast or in the midwest or in the south southwest Right. Same for people on the West Coast. They may have heard of Gettysburg, but they may not know of Fort Mifflin. Mm -hmm. You know, they may not know about the Carlisle Barracks, which is actually part of, you know, the Gettysburg campaign. So it is bringing awareness and stuff like that. And it just, it is from the height of all the TV shows, but the fact that marketing is using these creatures and, you know, stories as plot devices for marketing that does definitely show an increase in acceptance or or the use of a they're marketing to you and i they're not mm -hmm. necessarily they're, they're the people who look at it as a joke are going oh yeah that was a dumb commercial i'll remember it now though because the yeti yeah but yeah. people who are you know looking at stuff and going oh well that, that company uses a Yeti. I'd love to go ask the guy who's the head of marketing for that company. I probably could actually set up a meeting with him. It's not that far away. <laughs> and say to him, like, hey, what's your feeling on Yetis? Oh, well, you know, dude, I, I, yeah, this is a joke. Or, yeah, man, when I was a kid, when my grandfather took me out in the woods and we saw something and I, I've just always kind of been interested, but, you know, I just kind of thought it was a neat thing to do for a commercial was this, like, travel channel type show with all the strange phenomenon in the background mm -hmm. you never know i mean it but it is showing that it's becoming more you know go back 10 years name a commercial that had bigfoot in it right right well yeah i, I see your point it, it, it's 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 the awareness is for sure there you know now but again like i'm saying though i mean it's still in ridicule but nonetheless well, it's there 
but look at but let's be honest everybody who's watching everybody who listens to this could probably right now think about four or five researchers that they see on facebook that fit the bill to be ridiculed <laughs> i right yeah. now have three of them in my head and i'm not even thinking that hard I'm not <laughs> they are yeah, but you know don't. what i mean like yeah yeah well, <laughs> they don't really matter in my world but you know so it just has you know that whole thing of like they're basing their depictions off of the the three that i can think of are basing their methodology off of the ones who are entertainment based and are trying to make a name for themselves and the ones that are entertainment based are trying to keep their television show going for another season yeah to make money right right yeah i mean i would love to see something like along the lines of the monster quest something a little bit that was had i i to to, to what i fathomed or, or what i gathered was on the more serious side you know what i mean obviously they never caught anything you know obviously but at least it still tried to give, like I said before, it, it at least tried to give a little bit more of a scientific value to it. It tried to give it more of a documentary than than a goofy, comical, you know, pseudo. Well, here's the here's the problem, and I agree with you. I would much rather see those type of things be produced. Mm -hmm. We who enjoy this stuff want to see real scientific, real history, real eyewitness stories. We want to see that. Right. The average viewer wants bigger, faster, scarier. Right. So the stuff that we're all interested in gets dumbed down to the comic value and the creep factor and the the putting the low decibel you know soundtrack behind it to make it even scarier mm -hmm. the binaural beats and all to it because they need to do that to keep the television show going they keep mm -hmm. the television show going the ad revenue keeps going the ratings go up the more ad dollars go come in because it's worth more on the time Right. So the stuff that we all want to see, we'll, we'll probably never really see without somebody doing these online type things and sharing their investigations and sharing their work in a serious manner online, not trying to be the next Jason Hawes or Zach Bagans or Nick Groff. Yeah, yeah. You know, without trying to be them, you're probably never going to see a tv show that really depicts what's going on like we always say we go to invest a paranormal investigation we could sit there for 12 hours and not a single thing occurs nobody's going to watch that on tv even if you edit it down to a 45 minute show nobody's going to watch that they're going to watch one episode and go well that was really not that interesting mm-hmm Indeed. And Moon Joey has a good point. Like he says, he's posted numerous scientific articles concerning methodology in the paranormal research. And those posts get little to no acceptance. But you post some 
ambiguous photo of, of a ghost or case in point, you know, well, he says, you know, people go nuts over it. And it's true. Case in point, like we'll, we'll post stuff like some of these articles. They get a little bit of traffic. You know, some of them are a little bit more in depth than others. I mean, some of them, like, you know, the ones that we kind of read were short reads, you know, not much to them. But there were other ones like some of the big cat posts that we we had that that had some meat to it that had some, you know, truth or something behind it, you know, that that could be fathomable. Mm -hmm. Nobody hardly get a click on it. I post a thing about the the extra testicles or whatever or terrestrials it gets like 600 and some freaking shares or or, or posts you know what i mean yeah. or likes or, or, or reaches or whatever you want to call it but that's the point is i guess people want the the dumbed down kind of mindless humor which don't get me wrong i'm entertained by a lot of it i can sit back and i'll laugh at it i do i take it seriously no did i take finding bigfoot seriously no. And again, so the, the members individually, I'm sure they they do a phenomenal job. I mean, they're all over these conventions and whatnot that 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 go on all over the, the, the United States, you know, so people obviously care to hear their more truthful speeches and, and, and mm-hmm. ideals, but the show was comical. It was for entertainment value. You know, and people eat that up like mountain monsters. You yeah, know what I mean? Just horrible. But uh, well, think about it. Like you know, on Facebook, <clears throat> somebody posts, you know, a random photo of their grandkid, and they put the tight the heading. Tell me what you see in this photo. <laughs> Try to be a logical person on and comment on those photos. I see your grandchild standing in the doorway to your kitchen. It appears to be daytime. Yeah. Not one not one person will reply on that. I see three people standing behind him, and one of them's an old man. And and the thing will get 17,000 likes. Yeah. You can't be logical. Like, I, I stopped myself from commenting an awful lot. Because you will because, get torn apart. Yeah. You try and to use logic and... And, and, and you know. like, using science or using the fact of, like, these are things I've learned that cameras will do. Yeah. Like, this orb is... I mean, the National Paranormal Society's page has a, 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 a chart of orbs and what causes them it came from the camera manufacturers mm-hmm. so people will you know post this orb and it's brilliant colors and you go to that chart and you look and it's water vapor and you know at this you know this time of year and you post that and you post the chart with it and, and, no and you're, no you're that has to be you're this yeah, or that why, no, you... you're you're just trying to debunk this because you didn't find it yeah, 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 yeah. No, That's, I'm trying Mojo to. Joey has another the post there, exact, exact same thing where he, he he debunked a photo from the Stanley Hotel, 
saying about the reflections from the lenses and whatnot, and he got attacked for it. There were a few times, and I've been doing, I, I've been in photography for my career for 20 years. You know, I, I, I know a thing or two. I'm not the world's greatest, mind you. I'll admit that, but I, I know how to work a camera, and I know what cameras produce in different scenarios and different situations, different kind of lighting, you know, different functions within the camera produce different results and jesus mighty you go on there and you see an obvious thing a lens flare uh uh reflection re reflections of dust or or and and you try and point that out and like like you like you said and and joey people don't want to hear logic mm. they want to hear people eat up the same stuff that they think that they're seeing. I don't know if it's to, in hopes that they're not proven to be insane, but I mean, I know in some situations, you know, you got it. You got to think of it like some of the pictures, like with the red circles, you know, Oh, I, I see like, like Andy was talking about when he was on the show with us. He's like, somebody sent him a picture there or posted a picture with red circles. And it's like, I see two dog men and a, a juvenile Bigfoot. Well, we weren't there. We we didn't see what they saw. But a lot of it is that pareidolia or pareidolia or whatever, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, your mind is trying to make sense of images, shapes. It's trying to make a face out of something. So you think you see something. Now, again, like I said, I wasn't there. I wasn't in front of it. I... I there very well may have been something there. I didn't see it. But then when you try and, and push it, like he said, then the person's like, oh, well, you can't see them because they're like, you know, I'm not discrediting you. Like, because, you know, he's he's British. He's trying to be polite as he puts it. You know, although, you know, you, you claim to see something, I don't see something there. So I can't say that this is evidence, you know. And then the person re replies back, oh, well, they're you're not going to see them. They're cloaking. What the hell is that? You know what I mean? Like, how could you say? Then you can't post it. Yeah. Well, I had a um, in one of the Facebook, and this is a couple of years back. There was it's a Gettysburg ghost and paranormal or something like that. It was a Facebook page. I don't even know if it still exists. I may have actually been booted off of it. <laughs> um, it was a photo from Devil's Den. Uh huh. And it's this photo of what I can guarantee you is a reenactor. Uh -huh. In fact, I am pretty sure I know who it is mm -hmm. from looking at the picture. Uh -huh. Haven't seen him in a few years, but I'm pretty sure I know who it is. Yeah. So this person posts the photo. Look what I caught at Devil's Den. And I'm like, oh, that's a great photo of that reenactor. Yeah. It's a ghost. It's not a reenactor. There was nobody else up there. I'm like, first of all, I've been to Devil's Den thousands of times. Mm -hmm. I have walked up on people in the middle of the day that didn't know I was there. Right. It is a big cluster of rocks and brush and trees. And you can hide inside those rocks and be right underneath people and them not know you're there. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it couldn't be. So I, I took the photo and I started 
showing them what was inaccurate with the uniform. I said, it's a reenactor because this, this, and this are not, first of all, are not the proper regimental uniforms for the Confederate regiments that were there. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't prove that. Yeah, I can. Go look at the battle orders. You can clearly see that the regiments that were there were never supplied with the following items. Right. You can trace it all the way back through their, you know, from the time they were commissioned as a regiment to the end of the war and see that they were never given those items. In fact, those items don't exist at that period of time. <laughs> no, no, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Okay, if you believe it is, because I've just scientifically and logically debunked everything in that photo. Yeah, that's not but even really scientifically. Don't. That's just common sense and common knowledge that you could yeah. go anywhere. You could go to any one of the, the museums that, that have this information that's public knowledge. Yeah. But, you know, so it... Yeah, I agree with uh, Moon Joey there. You know, the field needs serious facts and truth. And the problem is, uh, I would say we're in the the minority mm-hmm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. We all, we want to provide the best evidence we can. We want to work the evidence to the point of saying to other investigators, hey, listen to this. Tell me what you think. And yeah. not from our, not from your group, our group, some, yeah, but go outside of the group and say, Hey, Moon Joey, I know you investigate. I'm going to send you an audio file. Just take a listen. Let me know what you think. Yeah. That, that's the stuff we need to be doing. We can't sit on it and then put it out there and say class A EVP and light phenomenon mm-hmm. or orb or whatever certain people want to call it. Yeah. And as soon as somebody questions it, it's not it's not a I'm right, you're wrong scenario. It's hey, could that be a bug? Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a bug because bugs generally show up this way on that, you know, in, in the light and you know, but it could be, so that's a possibility. But it's the dead of winter. We don't have that type of bug here during the dead of winter. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know. But people don't want the truth. They want blind, just blindly believe the, uh, you know, certain people. Yeah. Or, or they want to blindly believe certain people in these fields, you know, are, are providing them with all the truths out there. Yeah. You know, again, I just thought of three people in my head that people just blindly believe and don't. And and if you question them, you're, you're some kind of government agent trying to you know discredit them so you know they don't get the the truth out there Mm -hmm. okay i think i've rambled enough about that (laughs) yeah 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 exactly we both have but one one last thing that i want to point point out to that and 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 even though we are talking about all that stuff and we are giving our opinions and, and our thoughts on that everybody is entitled to believe what they want to believe you know, that's fine. I, you know, if, if somebody wants to say A, B, and C, okay, fine. A, B, and C. Well, here's my A, B, and C to that. You know, yeah. you believe I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put them down. I'm not going to make them feel 
you know, like a piece of, you know what, but at the same time, okay, well, that's your opinion. That's what you're telling me. Well, this is my opinion. I'm sharing it with you. And I always try and if, if you're going to, if you're going to conflict, at least try and do it maturely and professionally and try and come to some sort of a logical understanding or agreement. You know what I mean? Agree to disagree. Fine. But just, we don't have to tear everybody apart because, and, and, and I guess in another sense too, one of the reasons why our evidence page isn't overloaded with orbs and red circles and this, that, and the other thing is because Chad and I don't subscribe to every single anomaly that we find in, in any given photo is paranormal or cryptozoological. It's, it's a creature. It's, it's this, it's that. No, we have tons of that crap in, in our archives. The stuff that we put is the stuff that we just can't figure out. 99.9% .9 of all the other stuff we could accredit it to, you know, a fractal in, in, in the camera, uh, digital noise, you know, in, in a video or in an image, uh, anything that, that we know for sure. Well, you know, I work with these things on a daily basis. I know it produces this. I'm not going to put it out there and say this is evidence for the world to see because, A, I, I don't want I don't I don't need everybody to jump on my picture and and fluff my ego because they think it's what I think it is. And it's a ghost because I say it is. I don't I don't need that. I want to put out something that I can't explain. And if somebody comes back to there's there's numerous things that I had put out or sent to people personally uh, audio clips that I had found. I can't explain it. I think it is well one one in particular uh, is what what I call possible Bigfoot call that I had recorded on a property I, I lived lived on. I don't know what it is. I think it is a coyote, but it doesn't sound like the coyotes that I'm used to hearing down there. So I sent it out to a bunch of different people. I got mixed reviews. Some people say, you know, oh, the coyote or uh, this or that known species. And I can accept that. In fact, I'm glad because I went and I looked some things up and not in this case particular. I still can't figure out what this noise is. But in other cases, you know, it sounds like boar. It sounds like this sounds like that. OK, I get it, you know. But then other people are like, wow, you caught this. is This is a definite Bigfoot. I've heard one of these. OK, great. Well, can you give me something? I, you know, I've recorded a sound just like that. Great. Can you send it to me? I think once I got somebody that sent me something that was very similar to what I had. Neither one of us could depict or, or determine what the actual sound is. But everybody else is like, yeah, I, I got to sound like that. Great. Well, can you send it to me? No, I don't. What am I getting at here? If you're going to say it's a Bigfoot, give me something to to help me want to believe that what you and I are hearing is a Bigfoot. Don't just say, yeah, I heard that it's a Bigfoot. Okay, well, on, on what grounds? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, the thing that always got me got me with the sound that you reported was that time that I got the the audio of the Australian right. Yowie sound, alleged Yowie sound. That has a lot of similarities to the sound that you had right, recorded. Right. Now they're not right. 
identical, like 100% matches, but they have some similarities that stuck out as peculiar, especially in that area, because they don't have coyotes in that area. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, they have dingoes down under, but I don't know if they have, but, uh, but you know what I mean? You're, you're right. You know, if there's, if there's known species that make a, a similar sound and if one isn't, if one is present in one area, but not present in another area, well, all right, well, maybe I have something here, you know, mm. let's look a little bit further. Let's look at what other in, you know, known species are in those area. What other kind of fauna is in that area that we could kind of, you know, look, look up a sound and try and match it to. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, I, I, like, with a lot of our evidence that we do post, you know, if you ever watch a lot of it, there are, you know, a lot of times I'm the one that does the video content like that backs it so we can put it up. I always put in there, you know, please, you know, send us what, what you think it is mm-hmm. or, Hey, you know, this is what I'm hearing. This is how the question I asked this was the mistake I made while asking that question, this answer that I'm, what I'm hearing would fit that question, but be your own judge comment. Let me know what you're hearing. Right. I get the, Hey, that's great. Oh, that's, that's really cool. That's a great EVP. One person may be like, I'm not really sure that's what I'm hearing. Mm Mm-hmm. But nobody's ever like, nobody ever wants to be that that person that can kind of be like, yeah, could it be this? You know, mm-hmm. could it have been something doing this? Could it be something doing that? Like a lot of people just want to blindly, well, I guess if you search for, you know, EVPs on YouTube, most likely your blind belief is there. Like, oh, every one of these I hear has to be real. Yeah, you know, unless it's so obviously bad that it couldn't be real. But right. besides that, do we want yeah. to talk about what do we want to talk about next? Because I think we're uh, just kind of well, yeah, yeah, we we moment. really beat a dead horse on, on that last one. Jeez, um, but I guess it it's all topics that you know kind of drive us all crazy. You know what I mean? This is a mishmash show, so I guess it all kind of fits. So. Without going too too long tonight, um, I do want to recap what you had uh, experienced, uh, thought of uh, St. Albans. Let's let's just yeah. do a recap of of your time there, and 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 I, I want to talk about what you think we could do if we brought the entire team down for a full on investigation at St. Albans. Well, let me start with the place is enormous. Um, Basically, um, one of the friends of the show and I went, we met up there and stuff like that because he's interested in investigating, but he's, you know, doesn't have a team or anything like that. And it just happened to be something I wanted to do and Wes, you know, just couldn't make it down that weekend. So I ended up going with, you know, this friend of the show. And we basically had this ongoing joke is no matter which way you go, you can, you just have to be able to find the lobby so you can start over again and work your way back out. 
<laughs> and that's basically how we navigated the building was we can get to the lobby from this floor going this way. Okay, so if we go down this hallway, at worst, we got to come back this way. Because during the day, like when you first get there, it was daylight. It's mm -hmm. summertime. It's daylight until 9 o'clock at night. You're walking around, and a lot of the photos I took were during the day. You're walking around. It's naturally lit from – there's not really lights that are on in the building, but it's naturally lit from all the windows. So you walk down a hallway. You don't think twice about it. It's a T-junction at the end of this hallway, and we went left, and then we went right, and we went this way. You don't think about that. All of a sudden at night when it's dark outside – and now it was a full moon that night, so at least there was some – illumination right but there was quite a few times we walked down a hall and would just stop and be like um were we here were we in this section before no i don't really recognize this well, which floor are we on yeah so it's definitely a maze when it gets dark it is a maze right. and it is it's so big like it's not it's not um Penhurst big where you have several different buildings and tunnels and all that stuff but the building itself is like basically almost like three different parts to the building and depending on which way you go you can get lost real quick like there was a whole section of the building that we didn't even get to until the very end mm -hmm. How how's the overall appearance of the place like is it like really run down or do you think like like is there safety concerns or is it still in a in decent enough shape that we we should be able to investigate without any kind of major issues there are some nothing that you're not going to fall through the floor or you know the ceiling's not going to cave in on your head right um there yeah there's some holes there's some you know, doors that you have to be careful with that are super like three inch solid steel doors that you just got to watch that you don't, you know, bump them the wrong way because they will come flying at you. Hmm. <laughs> but definitely like, you know, you when we were there, we during the daylight hours, they kind of take you on a tour and let you kind of, you know, go around certain areas for a little bit and kind of get the lay of the land and... Hmm you know, pick areas that, you know, maybe you want to investigate later and stuff like that. And, you know, so we did all that and it was really nice. And then, you know, we went, got something to eat, came back and then they release you in the building by, you know, by yourself with your little group of friends or whatever you're with. Mm -hmm. One of the areas that we were really interested in was the bowling alley area. Mm -hmm. When we had done the initial walkthrough with the guide and all that stuff and with other people, there's a bathroom off the bowling alley. And it's like two stalls and two sinks. And then possibly what could have been like a shower area at one point, mm -hmm. but there's no like shower heads or anything there anymore. Well, we walked in. And we, we kind of like looked around the room and then we went over and there was, you know, of course there's always random chairs at these places that are you right. know, pay to play investigation things. So we go over and sit in these random chairs and I break out the K2 and I lay it on the chair in front of me and get out the camera. And I just kind of, you know, shoot a little bit around the room and stuff like that. And 
all of a sudden this other group walks in to the room. Now you got to understand this room is probably 24 foot long mm-hmm. by about nine to 10 foot wide. So it's a pretty decent sized room. So we're in there and they're standing over by where the sinks are. And all of a sudden they had a millimeter. All mm-hmm. of a sudden their millimeter is spiking all the way up and sitting there with the K2 meter on the chair, all of a sudden their millimeter drops back down to nothing. Mm-hmm. The K2 meter spikes all the way up and is holding at like four to five lights on it. Mm-hmm. And it's just holding there. Then all of a sudden it drops back down to nothing. The millimeter across the room kicks all the way back up and is binging off the wall. Hmm. It's just going nuts. They start talking. You know, they're, they're doing like EVP or something like that. And they're, they're, they're talking and they're talking. And all of a sudden it, it stops ringing again. Mm-hmm. And the K2 meter is pegging again. It happened a good five or six times where it, it was just back and forth between the two of us. Like their millimeter would go off, the, it would stop going off. All of a sudden, the K2 would go off. Then all of a sudden, that would stop, and the millimeter would go off. And how that far away going, from each other were you? They were. I was up against the back wall, so they had to be at least ten foot, if not more, away from me. Ten to twelve foot. I mean, the room's about twenty-four foot long. And any cell phones out visible? Nope. Hmm. And and I know we discussed this before about how cell phones severely uh, affect the way those devices work, and, and we tested that. But now, granted, you have to be pretty darn close to the cell phone in order for them to be, you know, doing any kind of disruption, but. I'm wondering with everybody, because there was a test that was done uh, the one time where, where people put popcorn kernels in the middle of a circle of cell phones and they called the phones. And, and popped the pop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have enough people in the room and their, you know, their phones are running, even if they're not physically in their hand, but, you know, the apps are always running behind the scenes and whatnot. I'm wondering. Hold on, if, one. Keep going. Keep going. I want to show you something. Now. Okay. I'm just wondering, is there uh, some sort of a combined energy field being generated from the cell phones that would trigger these devices? And I guess I'll have to wait for him to come back on that response because he uh, took off. Oh, here he comes. And your phone is running. Phone is running Facebook. Hmm. All right, well, when you receive data or incoming calls and stuff like that, like, let me see if I can update my, if I got any new uh, mail. Yeah, there's spiking a little bit. Okay. So, but the phone's sitting. Now there it's going crazy. Yeah, you can't get it on the screen though because it's updating. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So yes, that's a, a possibility. I just wanted to show that that is a possibility, but the fact that the phones weren't being that close. Yeah. The floors above you are solid wood and steel and stuff like that. So this is where And you, you said know, as, what, what room was this again? This is off the it's a bathroom off the bowling alley. Oh. And it wasn't the suicide <clears throat> bathroom. No. No. Okay. Hmm. No. The bowling alley is where they allegedly have um, captured EVPs of a female spirit and a child. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we go through the rest of the building. We come up with a couple areas like, you know, when we come back from getting something to eat, we kind of were sitting there like, we, we were looking at each other and we're like, well, where, where do you want to go? Down to the bowling alley. Like, okay, that's where I wanted to go to. I just didn't want to be the one that like, because I, I, I wasn't, I was there with somebody who, you know, is a friend of the show and I didn't want to be like, okay, we're going to do everything Chad wants to do this evening. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, we both paid to be there. So it was like, you know, I'm just willing to tag along wherever stuff that you found interesting, stuff I find interesting. Let's just go do it. We have until 4 a.m. Mm. So we go back down to the bowling alley. So, of course, bowling alley, you got people down there with dowsing rods and stuff like that. A lot of people were using dowsing rods. I mm -hmm. didn't really get why that was such a big thing there, but it seemed to be even the tour guides that were there earlier were using them. Now, were they walking around with them trying um, to get a response, or were they just sitting asking questions and trying to get them to do a response? Some, some of the groups were sitting doing it. Some of them were standing, you know, a couple of people were walking around with them. So I, I'm just not a big fan of dowsing rods. Like, honestly, I just don't, you know, it's vibration. Your body vibrates. It's going to move the object you have in your hand. Like mine have, I have a set of them. They have beads around them. Right, right. You know, it's going to cause it to move at times. But that just people were doing that. I, th I thought that was quite interesting. That was an old-fashioned tool that people were seeming to use a lot. And don't get me wrong. There were people there with periscope things, uh, power, whatever they are, with the lights and all this stuff. And, you know, there were people there with SLS cameras. And I basically talked to the one group that had one. And I'm like, do you guys always lead the person who's on camera to what's going on? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I overheard when you guys were in that room, you said there's, there's a, it's on your shoulder and it's tapping your head. Do you feel anything on your head? Now, luckily the person was like, no, but you led the person now to think there's something tapping on their head. So now you're going to be like, oh yeah, I can feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, because psychologically you're going to now think that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah, but the person said no. But that that's yeah, besides the point. And we went back down to the bowling alley and we set up some stuff and you know, put the camera out and just kind of filmed down the bowling alley. Of course, there were people at the end of the bowling alley, so it's a bunch of video of them playing with dowsing rods. Um but then we were like sitting there and we were both just like there was a there's two doorways 
there's a section of wall, two doorways, and the one doorway goes towards the bathroom that we were in earlier. Mm-hmm. And we went through the doorway, and I have the K2 out. And as we start going towards the bathroom doorway, which is there's no door there anymore, it's just an opening. Um, hold on, I got to go back to the beginning on that. <laughs> when we were down there with that other group and the, the K2 and the millimeter were going off, when we first walked in the room, <clears throat> we had checked the stall doors. There's two stalls in that bathroom. Both the stall doors were closed. We were sitting on the opposite side of the room from the stalls. Those people were midway in the room. None of us recall somebody walking over to the stalls and opening the doors. Went to leave the room when we were going on to the next section of the building. Both the bathroom stall doors were open. Could have been somebody, Mm -hmm. honestly. There was about six of us in that room. Can't account for all six of us the whole time we were in the room. Right. I know, you know, Gary and I didn't do it. We were sitting next to each other across the room from them. So when we went to leave the room, it was quite interesting that the doors, the stall doors were open. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to later when we're down there and we're in the bowling alley, we go to walk through the doorway and towards the bathroom doorway. All of a sudden, K2 it was crazy again. So I'm like, okay, I am going to sweep every inch of this hallway above me, below me, walls. Mm-hmm. Walk down the hall with the K2 and I'm running it right up against the walls, down the base of the wall, up the other wall, down the other side on the ceiling. You know, going back and forth as I'm walking on the ceiling like I was painting the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Go down all the way down the other side of the hall to nothing. Running around the door frame, thinking maybe there's a wire inside the door frame that they have hooked up. Because mm-hmm. again, you're on camera the entire time you're in the building. So I'm thinking, could this be a little setup type thing? Generate interest start sweeping, looking around, checking all this stuff. Nothing's going on. Bring the K2 back down to waist height, and I'm standing there and standing there and standing there. All of a sudden, the K2 starts going off again. So I walk through the doorway. Walk in. We start asking questions. We're just asking question after question after question, given time in between each one, but just asking questions. Stops dead. No light, nothing. Go around the bathroom again, sweep the entire inside of the bathroom. Nothing's kicking on the K2. Start walking back towards the doorway to leave, holding the K2. We're stopped and we just, you know, we were talking back and forth. All of a sudden the K2 is spiking again. Hmm. Now, this honestly could have been psychological. It's hot as hell in there. It's mm-hmm. humid. It is not, even in the basement where the bowling alley is, it's still very warm. Mm-hmm. 
holding the K2. It's going off. My arm, just one arm, froze. Hair is standing up. Goosebumps. Just one side of my body. Just just my arm from here to here is frozen. Hmm. Stops then randomly. Felt perfectly fine. But we spend probably 45 minutes between that doorway and that little piece of hallway. Mm -hmm. The K2 would just randomly spike. Now, I'm not talking three lights. I'm talking four to the fifth light and holding and then going away Mm -hmm. and then up. So one of the things I say, you know, with that area, especially for future investigations, A, I would like to get some other electric, you know, electromagnetic field reading equipment like the millimeters and stuff like that. Maybe a couple different K2s, you know, whatever we can find that could measure that stuff and just set them up and see if you're not getting cross pollination where it's, it's setting off both types of devices. Right. Then it's, you know, really trying to debunk, well, what could it be in that room? Yeah. Like I said, I thought you're on camera the whole time. What's to say they don't have some kind of little pump thing wired in that they flick it on every so often and it creates a spike and then oh, yeah. they shut it off quick and it, you know, we got, we, we got something going on here. Mm-hmm. Now, well, look at the, that EM pump that, that we have and we tested it, how, how it makes everything react. You know what yeah. I mean? You turn that thing on and the, and your readings start spiking, you know, because obviously it's creating energy, you know. Yeah. But it's uh, a magnet spinning around. It's a giant vibrator with a blue light, let's be honest. Pretty much. Pretty much. It, it but, makes but a little right, rumble though, sound. To your point, I mean, if they, if they have some kind of a switch where they, you know, something that amplifies energy, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a pay to play place. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that's what they do. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, that, you yeah. know, in order to bring people back, you have to have some sort of a wow factor. So are they cheating and putting, you know, triggers around? Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't find anything, but like I said, you are on camera. If there is something there that they do, I'm not saying that they do, but I'm, you know, is it, something that was flicked on they see you start looking around to try to figure out what it is they flick it off you get off that path for a little bit all of a sudden they flick it back on Mm -hmm. but the thing was is it was happening at different heights and um different heights and in at different spots throughout that section of hallway like the boiler room is down from it. Once or twice, it as you would walk towards the boiler room, it would start going off. And one time in the boiler room, it went off crazy, but not like it was in the hallway, not like it was in the bathroom. So it definitely, yeah, it was interesting. Right, right. Not saying it was paranormal. I just as when you're looking for interesting occurrences while you're investigating, that was a definitely interesting area. Um, 
I didn't actually have the device that Les and I got that does all that stuff. I back. <laughs> yeah, I I had my my thermal gun with me, and it was about seventy three in the basement in different spots, which is unusual because usually it's about sixty five underground. It was seventy three, and I don't know what the humidity was, but I can tell you from the amount I sweated, it was pretty high. Yeah, we we so, actually have like three or four of these small little. Um, portable battery operated temperature gauges it gives you the the temperature in fahrenheit and celsius which you know we usually just keep it in fahrenheit and uh it also measures the uh humidity level and so on and so forth so what we usually do is as we're going around setting things up we we place them in different rooms and the different levels and that way we kind of get a general reading of especially the the quote hot spots of mm. of a, a certain location like even when we investigate residentials for people that call us in all right well what room do you feel the most activity is is taking place oh well this you know the back bedroom so we'll put one in the back bedroom we'll put one you know randomly like maybe in a hallway upstairs to see if there's any kind of a difference or or maybe in a, a, a an adjacent room um and then we'll put them on different floors of the house as well just to see if there is any kind of huge increase, like if one room, you know, if there's two rooms in the back of a house that are right next to each other and one room has, you know, an average temp throughout the rest of the house, but the other one is like 20 degrees colder. Well, they're both in the same part of the house, you know, and, and they're getting this generally the same amount of sunlight. Well, why is this one so much colder? And that's when we start putting more focus into other areas of what might be causing such a, a, an increase or decrease and so on and so forth. But yes, to your point, Joey, you're right. We, we, yeah. we, do, we do use those things, but he didn't have them because they're in, in my, in, in my uh, toolbox. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, definitely that was one interesting area. And, you know, we spent a good probably, I think we spent a total, including the earlier time, probably about two hours, two and a half hours down in the basement in that area. <clears throat> you know, very interesting. You know, there there's stuff that they give you throughout the night that lead you into certain ideas Mm-hmm. Like sitting in the um, alcoholics wing, they basically in the middle of the alcoholics wing they have a big meeting area, which would have been like an AA meeting room, mm-hmm. and then there are drunk tanks off the side of that room, and then there's the autoclave and stuff was down the hallway, what they call the dragon room, and stuff like that, and. At one point while we were actually doing the guided tour, we had kind of just sat in the meeting area. We sat there, like we walked around the dragon room and stuff like that. It wasn't really that interesting. It didn't have any kind of like real, you know, feel to it or, or no urge to investigate that little area. And there was, there was a couple, you know, at that point you're on a tour. So there are a good number of people. So we kind of went back to the, the alcoholics meeting area and sat and it got so deathly quiet in there. Mm -hmm. Now there were people 20, 30 foot away from us down the hallway, but it got so quiet. You couldn't even hear the road noise outside. Like there is a road, not that far from it there. You can hear outside noise at times. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but it was so quiet. At one point, we were actually sitting there and we looked at each other and we're like, what time were we moving to the next area? Because I kind of think they forgot us. Yeah. And we actually were sitting there with a, a another family had come in and sit with us at that time. It was a, a father, mom, daughter, and son that, you know, they, they were kind of family ghost hunting. And they were sitting with us and they're like, yeah, it is really strangely quiet. So I see a flashlight come down the hall. So I'm like, okay, there's somebody coming this way. So the guide comes back in. She's like, oh, yeah. We're like, we almost thought you forgot us. And she's like, no, I haven't forgotten anybody recently. I'm like, oh, great. Recently? And she's like, once or twice we've accidentally lost a person or two that we've had to find. I'm like, great, great. So she's like, oh, so... I said to her, I said, is it always so quiet in this room? And she's like, quiet? And I'm like, yeah, like you can't hear you guys down the hallway. I said, if I wouldn't have saw your flashlight, I wouldn't have seen, known you guys were coming down the hallway. And she's, a, of course, no, no, usually there's a, a, a guy that you know talks in the doorway. There's usually a guy that talks in the doorway. Yeah, he, he must have been an alcoholic or something like that because he's kind of slurry and rambly, but he talks a lot. And I'm like, okay. This is like the second thing she said to me that kind of was like lead you to believe this is you know something special. Mm-hmm. I did not notice anybody or hear anybody talking standing in that doorway. So right. they're leading you. Now... We go to another section, which was where the suicide bathtub, suicide bathroom and all is, and the pink bathroom and the green bathroom. And of course, if you've looked at the photos, there's a photo of me sitting in the green, laying in the green bathtub. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of course I ask, you know, with the bathtubs, you know, is there any, you know, stuff with the bathrooms and stuff like that? And they're like, Oh yeah, well the suicide bathroom, and they give you the story that the four su or four or seven suicides that have happened there. But if you go to the the green bathtub, people who sit in that sometimes have things happen. And sometimes they see stuff in the mirror. And the girl tells me, Yeah, one person sat in it and they saw themselves age as they were sitting there. <laughs> So of course I'm like, I'm I'm so laying in this bathtub. So I go, I climb in the bathtub, and I put my arms up on the. This is a nice bathtub too, by the way. Long, very spacious. I put my arms up. I'm I'm like the Calgon commercial. Calgon, take me away. And I'm just laying in this tub, and I laid in there for about twenty minutes. Ain't nothing happening. <laughs> You know, it was just, it was a bathtub. And there's no mirror in that room. Don't know what mirror they were referring to, but there is no mirror in that bathroom. They're all gone. Huh. Um, sat in the tub, nothing. Walked around. Went up in a few of the other rooms, up into the suicide bathroom, stuff like that. That, of course... You know, it is free roaming time, but everybody kind of headed there as like a second, like, you know, you saw everybody kind of dart for the basement and then half the people realized like, well, if they're going to the basement, let's go upstairs. Yeah. 
so when we went up there, it was kind of busy up there, and there were people with all kinds of lighted up devices and stuff going and cameras and all that stuff. So I was like, I'm not going to interfere with what they're trying to do. But I didn't really take notice to much in the bathroom. It's a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, though we sat in the female ward, the pink rooms, and sitting, it's, you know, it's kind of like a, just a big room and there's, there's, I don't want to say they were cells, but there were rooms for the patients off. So basically they were cells. They didn't have cages. They had metal doors. But they have them all open except for one, which is a section where stuff has fallen in on it. So they don't let you in. But there's a nurse's station in that room. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, kind of like when you first walk in the room, it's a nurse's station and a shower and a little, like, changing area and stuff like that. And then it's all the, the pods for the, the people who would have been there. So we were sitting at the far end of the room and you would kind of that out of the corner of your eye type stuff where you'd kind of see something like move out of the corner of your eye in the doorway or something like that. And you'd kind of be like looking over and you'd be sitting there staring and shining flashlights in and stuff like that. But just the nurse's station you could kind of hear like a squeak every so often. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like that old fashioned, like um, office chair squeak. That like, eh. yeah, yeah, yeah. That squeak. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could hear that every so often. There's no office chair in there, but you'd hear it. Could it be something you know, somewhere else in the building above you, below you, outside the big metal door that you just happen to be hearing. Yeah, it could be. But it's odd because people have gotten EVPs in there of what sounds like a nurse telling them stuff, almost like giving report for when they change shifts. Hmm. People have also claimed to have seen a nurse walking the ward like walking down, looking in the windows of the rooms back to the nurse's station at times. I didn't see it, but people report this, of course. You know, and of course that comes from guides who are getting you to um you know, giving you places to go while you're there to keep you excited to kinda oh, you know, people see a nurse walking down this hall. You know, so it was interesting. A couple of times when we were in there, the K2 would go off and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, some other people that came in and were sitting with us and stuff like that had, you know, equipment that would do stuff and, you know, but nothing, nothing major. In the morgue, there was an interesting occurrence. We were in the actual morgue room with the drain in the floor and stuff like that where they would you know take care of the bodies but there was like cold rooms Mm -hmm. around them so i guess it's pretty much for storage either bodies or or perishables i guess and there that family that i had mentioned earlier was the mom and dad the son and daughter now the son and daughter were teenagers mom and dad were probably 
late 40s, early 50s, we're in the room a little bit, if you're facing the, the doorways, we would have been in the room to the far right and back a little, and they were to the left, and in the, the one room, the door would have been on this side. And you heard the dad and the ma and the daughter shriek like like horror movie noise. And we come out of the room we're in, and we're like shining a flashlight over where they are. Like we walked over quick, and we're like, are "You guys okay?" <laughs> and they're like, were, "Were you guys just out in the hallway?" And we're like, "No, we were in the in the the morgue." And they're like, "So you guys weren't just in the hallway? Like somebody you, you didn't just like peek around the door, did you?" And we're like, "No, we heard you scream, and then we came over because we thought something happened." And they're like something or or somebody was peering around the door at us. Hmm. And they were like, the door actually started to move. Like, just wow. a little bit. Now, you got to realize, the, these are heavy steel doors. Now, was there anybody else around, or was it just the two of you and the two of them? The four of them, two of us. Oh, okay. Um as far as we knew, there was nobody else over there because there's another big steel door that you have to open and it makes a lot of noise when you open it. Mm -hmm. So as far as we know, we were the only six people in that section. Not saying that it couldn't have been somebody else. Yeah, or just their imagination. Imagination, yeah. And then, you know, without seeing it for yourself and documenting it and being able to try to, you know, get some kind of real proof of it, you know, but it was interesting. Again, it's an occurrence that happens while you're in a, you know, allegedly haunted building. Another, another uh, reason why those POV glasses are are a handy tool. Give, imagine mm -hmm. two people saw it, right? The dad and the daughter. Mm -hmm. Imagine if they both were wearing those and they had looked over and boom, you know, yeah. you could have at least played back and say, "All right, well, let's see what if we can see what you saw." And if there's nothing there, then, you know, obviously it had to have been some sort of a, an imaginary thing or it just wasn't caught on tape. Yeah. Now, I did use my POV glasses for a point, a little bit of it. And the problem was it was so humid, it was fogging them up. Ah. Uh, so it was very hard to keep them on my face long enough to be wearing them. I wore them for a little bit. I'll have to try to put the video up on facebook when i get some time mm -hmm. um i don't know if there's anything in it really it's just you know video of walking around with them yeah. on but it was i mean they just kept fogging mm. uh, well we have hit our two hour mark and before we we go off air i want i want to ask what do you think we would need to do based off your assessment and your time there where are the areas you think we need to hit or, or put most of our attention to and what, what all do you think we would need to bring and how many people? Um, I would definitely say the bowling alley, that downstairs area, mm -hmm. a lot of just a lot of alleged activity, personal experience down there. A lot of things, very interesting. Can't really debunk, you know, 
have ideas to what it could be, but don't have any proof to support those ideas. So I would definitely say that area, mm -hmm. the upstairs where like the suicide bathroom and stuff is would be interesting to kind of sit and observe what goes on in those areas. Mm -hmm. The grand staircase area in the hallway would be interesting. It's just a very big hallway with a grand staircase and, you know, definitely something, you know, it's a, a large area and it would definitely be somewhere to put a camera, kind of have an idea of what's going on in there. Um, as far as people, you could legitimately have a team of 10 people and disperse yourself in such a way that you would not be contaminating anybody else's research area. Okay. It's, it's big enough to support. I mean, there was at least 25 to 50 people in there from midnight to 4 a.m. Um, you very seldom ran into anybody else. In fact, you usually end up being more startled because you ran into a living human being than anything else that happened while you were there. Right. Uh, in fact, I almost fell down the steps because I got to the top of the steps and saw the glowing outline of a person and kind of forgot there was other people in the building besides <laughs> us. Um, but yeah, you could definitely have 10 people in that building working on different floors. You could jump up and down on the floor above them and not cause sound on the next level. Okay, cool. That's that's a good thing to 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 know because I I'd like to like if you if we were able to get ten people to come down with us, like five groups of two, and just go all throughout the building, but try and make sure we're spaced out enough where we're not going to contaminate. Oh yeah, yeah. You definitely there's so much workable space in there, and I mean there are rooms and and sections that we really didn't investigate because we just didn't really find them as interesting, mm -hmm. like the alcoholics area. We sat in the meeting room of it. Didn't really see anything except for it got so deathly quiet in there that it kind of was interesting that all of a sudden, you know, you could hear people down the hall from you. Um, that's where they have the autoclave and stuff like that is right down the hallway, the dragon room and stuff like that. That's where the electro or no, that's, no, the electroshock therapy room's off there, too. No, that's downstairs. Yeah, that's downstairs. The electroshock therapy room would be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, the actual um, superintendent's living quarters would be very interesting. One of the things I found out that I found interesting was, A, they don't have records of lobotomies being done there. Mm. Not saying they weren't. And a lot of the staff feels like they were done there. They just couldn't find records of it because it was a standard medical practice. But the actual doctor, Dr. King, who started it, him and his family lived in the building with patients. <clears throat> so the dark history, well, it's one of the things I, I, I learned as, as I spoke to one of the ladies who actually grew up right behind the building, in the street uh, road behind it. And... She actually, I witnessed several people hanging 
in the um, upstairs garden area. She said there was quite a few times in their childhood they would be driving by and they'd see somebody up there hanging by their neck. Yeah. Um, but like she, she actually explained a lot to me about the actual history. I'd love to have, I actually asked them if one of them would come on the show. Mm -hmm. I'd have to clear it with the owner and the, the manager of the place, which are brother and sister. And yeah. I actually have a good relationship with the uh, managing partner of it about coming on and talking with us about the actual history of the building. It's mm -hmm. not as dark as it's portrayed. And from the stuff that we had researched and stuff like that to actually learn from people that grew up around the building, like the fact that Dr. King actually lived with his family inside the building, like their, their living quarters is inside the building. There are patient rooms off of their living quarters that aren't separated with like, they weren't separated with big steel doors. They were freely able to come through their, house and stuff like that hmm. interesting now there were people there were people that were kept and locked behind steel doors and stuff like that but there were people that had gained you know access to the upper floor and stuff like that who, who had rooms up there who could just come and go as they please throughout the room hmm. uh worked on the farm outside and stuff like that that's that's pretty crazy and there's no way i would want to raise my family around that kind of an environment uh so I guess in, in conclusion, your overall uh, kind of thought feeling, I, do you think it warrants us going down, first of all? I, I do. Okay. Um, I've had two different experiences there. I've had the don't go in there, don't want to be there, something doesn't want you here feeling. Mm-hmm. And I've had the, it's, I, I actually explained it as I was not scared or didn't feel fear or anxiety the entire night I was there. Mm -hmm. It actually felt warm and welcoming. Hmm. Like it, it actually felt inviting. Like it wanted you in the, in the building. Like it didn't, it didn't have this like, dread or fear but i've been there before and physically felt like it did not want me there like yeah felt like you know something trying to keep me away from there right so it was definitely uh it had a warm feeling to it and it it invited like it wanted it wants to if there is something there it wants to communicate with you and not in a scary, you know, grave encounters type of way, but in a, Hey, this is where I, I spent my life or I, I spent time and, you know, I just kind of want to be heard. Yeah. But I definitely think it would be an interesting location to investigate. It's sheer size of the building, um, the history of the building being that it was Native American, you know, fights and stuff happened on there, early settlers, Civil War battle, you know. It's history is a history, yeah, that's for sure. Or you know, a school, a sanitarium, a regular hospital. You know, so it definitely 
definitely has a lot of history and it's definitely a very interesting building and i definitely think it's worth investigating hmm. well that sounds good to me and hopefully we could get everything together and get a, a big enough team assembled i know we have a lot of people that had volunteered to take the trip down there and and help us out uh, so hopefully we get that plan that is on the top of our list to get down for there and i mean we all we also have another uh location in gettysburg our go-to place um this time we want to hit the jenny wade house or her sister's house that they call the jenny wade house um we want to hit that up too because that was one of the locations in gettysburg that we did not do a private investigation in um before we get off the air one thing i, I do want to ask is that anybody who listens to our show please uh click i'm putting a link in the comments section here if you guys don't don't mind to uh check out click the link to our itunes channel or whatever you want to call it in the podcast sections of itunes and if you if you can please just give us a a five-star rating if you like the show um we really want to try and build up our uh oh i guess our our awareness on itunes so people could find us on there because i guess with itunes it doesn't matter if you're on it or not you have to have a certain amount of ratings in order to get uh categorized or placed on on any kind of a search like if you search for bigfoot or ghosts or paranormal or whatever you get a slew of of podcasts out there and and we're trying to be one of them so we could share our show with with more uh people out there so again like i said if you anybody you know that's into this kind of stuff share our facebook page click that link please give us that five star review if you don't mind it costs nothing but time and generosity um we 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 do plan on coming back next week uh not sure what the topic is i think we're going to be talking about the american jotloff pass if i'm not mistaken we're still trying to pull together some information on that so we can really build out a, a good show um other than that thank you all for listening thank you for tuning in chad thank you as always for being my best friend and co-host and uh you got anything else you'd like to say or anything you no, would just, like to say since i went on for you know like les said if you you know wouldn't mind you know give us a good rating on itunes and you know share anything that you find interesting with your friends and share the page you know whatever greatly appreciate it and I do believe, yes, um, I'm putting the finishing touches on the American Giatloff Pass story, so it'll be an interesting one, at mm -hmm. least. I mean, I hope. It's not our, again, it is not our normal forte of, like, you know, the mystery or anything like that, but, you know, it, it, it's definitely an interesting story. It, it does fit with the episode prior to that with the um, the actual Giatloff Pass story and stuff like that. So once in a while, it's neat to stretch our legs and kind of do a, a mystery, you know, unsolved, you know, unsolved mystery type in search of type story that isn't paranormal cryptozoology or ufology related. So, yeah. you know, once in a while, it's nice to stretch our legs, but we will be coming back after that with, you know, some stuff on spectral kids since it's back to school time. And, mm -hmm. you know, you also got to think it's back to school time. It's almost Halloween. So we'll definitely be having our traditional halloween episode that hopefully this year i don't have to edit any parts out of the post <laughs> but, but you know so we'll be doing some stuff for that we'll be building up and um 
you know, hopefully we might have some guests coming on in probably the next three, four weeks. We'll probably have a guest on. And yeah, Wes. I forgot about the, that. The story we no longer speak of. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, about All right, six, well, 13 episodes in and we had an episode we don't speak of. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's out there. It's edited. <laughs> All right, man. Well, good night, my friend. Good night, everyone. And thank you all for tuning in. Yep. Night, everybody.